Hello, welcome to the Solar Review podcast from Beiwa RE Solar Systems. I'm Tom Miller, editor of Solar Review, and we have a very special feature to share with you this week. We have a keynote address from Enphase CEO Paul Nahi from our 2017 Partner Summit. And let me just say that the response to Paul's talk was really overwhelming. Everyone loved it and thought that Paul's messages were really timely and relevant to where we are as an industry. There's so much happening now with technology, new products, with the grid, and I think it's always healthy to take a step back, take a breath, and consider the bigger picture. And Paul does a really good job of framing that picture for the audience. So before we get to the talk, I'd just like to make a quick request to check out our new magazine, Solar Review. You can Google Beiwa RE, that's Beiwa R period E period view, Beiwa Review, and you'll find us. The magazine has in-depth articles, business strategy tips, videos. We have a curated news feed from our CEO where he picks really relevant content from across the industry so you don't have to find it yourself. So please check out the magazine, share it on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and ping us if you have any questions, comments, or if you'd like to see us cover more of something. Okay, thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy Paul Nahi's talk as much as we did. Thank you for having me. Um, this is not something we get to do enough, frankly. Being the technology provider usually leaves us a couple of steps removed from the installer, which we don't like, uh, but it's sort of where we sit in the supply chain. But it is very much our intention to get deeper and deeper engaged with the installer so we understand what's going on, so we can, we can translate that into technology. So let me just back up and say that... Uh, uh, for those of you who don't know, um, Focus Energy, now Baywa, was the very first uh, distributor that Enphase signed up with. So like 10 years. So en Enphase has been around 10 years. This is our 10-year an anniversary. Um, and I remember having the discussion with Paul. This is going back some time now. And Paul was exploring what different inverters, what different product technologies he wanted to use. And his, his approach back then, which when you look back was amazingly brilliant, but was simplicity was making it as simple as, and, and as straightforward for the installer as possible. So he wanted to choose one sort of one solution from each category. At that time, nobody had ever heard of Enphase. Nobody had ever heard of a microinverter, brand new. Paul made the decision to go 100% Enphase, and that was the only inverter that they sold in the beginning, which was nuts. It was, even we thought, this is nuts. Um, we loved it. Uh, and what that did, and I think it really benefited both of us, what that did is it allowed uh, focus at the time to really stay on message, to be able to communicate a simple value proposition and be able to do it over and over again so it became part of their DNA. And for us, we had this amazing partner with whom we can then communicate with installers, with whom we could channel a lot of our, our activities in. And that focus turned out to be a huge attribute going forward. Um, it was a very prescient move, I think, by, by Paul. And one of the challenges, and I'm going to talk a little bit about this in a moment, but one of the challenges in general that the industry has is that, and this is true of any young industry, and I think Charlie uh, probably has seen this many times in his career, that as an industry grows, it kind of blossoms, and you have all these different tangential products, technologies, business models, whatever it may be, until it kind of solidifies and then it gets back to what, what is probably the long-term models. We are still kind of in that, in, that, in that blossoming stage. And in that stage, it gets very confusing. And it isn't, it isn't obvious. I remember that uh, uh, when we started, we would meet with a bunch of installers who would say that they really disliked us. 
and they disliked us because their value add, who they felt they were as installers, as professionals, were high voltage guys. That's what they knew. They understood string sizing. They understood what it meant to install a string inverter and the complexities behind it. And they felt like we were taking that away from them and kind of commoditizing that process. And they were very, very upset. Um, and these are great guys and great installers, the vast majority of which aren't here anymore. It has nothing to do with the quality of the people or the quality of the companies. Um, it speaks to the progression of an industry. Every, so I, I, I come from high tech, semiconductor design, kind of a different world. I've been here obviously for 10 years. This has been my life for a long time now. But prior to that, it was all about technology. Uh, and I'm looking around at a lot of young faces, so this is not going to make sense to you. But there was, a, there was a point in time when you bought a PC, it was a, a desktop, and that's what everybody bought. And it didn't come with any audio, it didn't come with any video. You had to, uh, uh, Charlie's smiling. You had to. <laughs> I know what came before. <laughs> um, so you, you had to uh, take these audio cards, and, and, and there were dim switches and little things you had to plug in, and you had to have a little soldering gun, and you had to plug it in in just the right way. And, and same, with, uh, same with video, and to make that a multimedia system. Uh, at the time, I was working on the semiconductor and the system side of, on, on, the, on the media side. Now, there isn't a laptop, uh, 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 desktop that doesn't come built in. You don't even think about it anymore. It comes with uh, audio, video, whatever else. Your phone, mo most uh, conspicuously. You don't have, you know, you don't need a, a camera and a fax machine and all these things. You have your phone that does everything. The one underlying theme to all technology development is that technology involves in the direction of simplicity. It never, never goes in the other direction. It's about simplicity and integration. In the beginning of any technology, you have, uh, you know, you're generally dealing with early adopters. And early adopters like to mess around. They like to play around. They like the high voltage. They, they like to, to see what's going on. And they don't mind spending the time, and they don't mind spending the money. That's what they do. I remember when we, when we did our first number of installs, um, 50, uh, we would get calls from uh, installers and owners. And they were thrilled because they could see that, that two of their inverters weren't working. And we, we would tell them, hang on, probably three or four more are going to break any minute now. They, <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and they loved it. Today, we don't get those calls anymore. Um, today is very much the opposite. But at the time, with the adoption of new technology, it's OK. It's fun. It's exciting. It's what you do. As any technology, as any industry moves from a niche early adopter industry over to a mass market consumer uh, type product, it must, by definition, go in the direction of integration and simplicity. Otherwise, you never make that transition. Not possible. There are only a certain number of people who really enjoy the, the deep technology engagement that comes with being an early adopter. The vast majority are building businesses. Their, 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 their focus is on growth. It's not on uh, some of the more arcane technology advancements. It's about how their business is doing. In order to help accelerate that and help create a more profitable environment, what we have to do is create something that is simpler, more integrated, and, and a technology that allows the installer to focus on, or the distributor to focus on, their business, not the technology. 
At this point, the technology is a vehicle for something much, much bigger. It's, a, it's sometimes easy to forget how massive the energy industry really is. This is not a small industry. This is not an industry that you measure in billions of dollars. This is an industry that you measure in trillions of dollars. The solar industry, and for those of us who've been in it a while, it seems like a whole lot longer, um, it feels like, you know, it's a mature industry, it's grown, it hasn't even started. This industry has not yet started. This is the, we are still in the very early days, and you can see it by the exploration of different technologies. You could see it by the exploration of different business models. Uh, companies come into business for a while. Some of them make it. Some of it don't. Some of them don't. And that is not to speak uh, uh, badly about any of those individuals. Great companies are not able to make it, and great individuals, because the market has moved in a direction that's different than, than, than where they were headed. But you have to have those, diff those different tributaries going out to really better understand what the market should look like and what it should be. It wasn't that long ago that everybody was looking at the PPA model and saying, game over. These guys have 74, 75% of the market. It's going to be 85, 90% of the market. That's where it's growing. It's all about, quote unquote, free solar. Uh, and uh, I, I think the industry, uh, most people in the industry, certainly most people in the outside the industry believed it. In, a, in an amazingly short period of time, that model is stood on its head. It's not that it's a wrong model. It's not that that model is necessarily broken, but the view that that would be the only model and that if you didn't have a PPA, you couldn't, uh, you couldn't win has been completely disabused. What we're seeing now is that, no, there are multiple financing models. PPA is one of them. Loans, as you all know, uh, are seeing a, a dramatic uh, uh, resurgence. Uh, the solar, uh, as an asset class, is being very well recognized. It's, it's being a risk adjusted, it's being well priced, and you're going to see more and more loans and different kind of loans come out. Again, there's a place for, for, for uh, PPAs and leases, there's a place for loans, but uh, that also, that, that part of the industry is kind of sorting itself out. We look at the technology portion of this in the same way. Where is the technology going, and are we skating to where the puck is, or are we sort of responding to, to what's happened in the past? Because a lot of us, myself and a lot of the exec team, come from the tech industry, we have seen this over and over again. It goes towards consolidation and simplicity. Now, it is ironic that consolidation and simplicity at the end user requires infinitely more technology and complexity at the design side. That's what's happening, where you, you abstract that complexity from, from, the, from the downstream by taking all of that on uh, ourselves. So we look at something like uh, the AC battery. The AC battery uh, is a 1.2 kilowatt device that has the inverter, the chemistry, the battery controller, everything built into one box. You literally hang it on a wall, plug it in, if you will, and you're done. That has never been seen before. But that, the, the genesis of that was because we understood that if you have to put batteries here, an inverter here, somehow make it work right, somehow make it uh, align it to how much solar you have and adjust that to what's happening on the consumption side and, and make it work, uh, brilliant science experiment, a lot of fun for a few people, not a mass market item. Not going to see the kind of penetration that we need to see. In order to do what we did, we had to design an inverter that's bidirectional. A bidirectional inverter for us is an inverter that goes AC to DC or DC to AC. So we can go DC to AC out of the battery or charge the battery by going from AC to DC. 
our new generation of inverter is, has that bi-directional component. That took two years, two and a half years to develop. Massive, there were, there were more, there's more development in that, but massively complex development. Um, many tens of millions, many, many tens of millions went into the development of that, of the, of the next generation product. Uh, and it was done so that we could see further and further integration. We looked at the, the, the AC module and, and said, what is the most amount of integration you can get between a module and an inverter? It's the AC module. We are very privileged, very, very lucky to have LG as uh, uh, our, our uh, spearhead partner in the development of that AC module. To do an AC module, the inverter has to have very high efficiency, so you have low heat generation, so the heat isn't pushing up against the, 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 the panel. Uh, it has to be very lightweight. It has to have a whole bunch of characteristics that we didn't need before. Again, the AC module represents the ultimate in integration and simplicity, but to, to create it, we had to redesign the case so that we used a polymeric case, no longer metal. If you're, going to do, if you're going to design a polymeric case, we needed now a two-wire solution. We wanted to take our cabling from four wires to two wires. This is all in the IQ series. This is all launching right now. To do that, we have to figure out how to uh, work with a non-grounded system, uh, the, the issues of uh, the, the chemistry in the polymer. Uh, we worked with Dow Chemicals to specially design a compound that is unique to Enphase that supports all the different uh, characteristics that are required in, in, in that development. Because of that, uh, uh, when we first started working with LG, and you all can imagine how, uh, uh, how sensitive they are and how focused they are on quality, uh, the, uh, the LG engineers, the LG quality team have, have been to our facilities a dozen, two dozen times. They've been out to China to audit the factory, audit the manufacturing process. They've, they've required changes to be made in the manufacturing process to further ensure uh, the highest quality level. But all this is so that uh, you have a simple, unified device. When we look at simplicity, we're not looking at simplicity just from a technology standpoint from, a, from an inverter. We're looking at it, how do we make the installer's life as simple as possible? Well, it starts over here with, uh, with uh, uh, inventory and working capital management. When we visited is hundreds of installers, it's clear that they have you know, maybe multiple uh, in their warehouse, they have multiple modules, they have a whole series of, in, of inverters, you know, two, three, four, five, six, all the different inverters, anything else optimized, anything else that's associated with it, all the racking and all the rest. The idea is, part of the benefit of an AC module is it's one stack, it's one pallet of modules, and you're kind of done in terms of modules, inverters, everything. It's one SKU, one, one PO that takes care of that entire, that entire issue. You go to the site, you bring up the roof, you take the modules up like you normally would, you plug them in like you normally would, and you happen to be plugging it into the inverter, you don't even see it, and you're done. And now you, 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 you connect it to the, to the to load center and you're off and running. Working capital management, SKU management, uh, 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 the actual installation process, the O&M, because of the quality, uh, the, the O&M process, Everything now becomes much, much easier. Asset management. Now we track serial numbers of not just the inverter, but the module associated with it. Um, that, for us, represented sort of the, uh, an, uh, uh, an obvious next step. Now, we came out with, a, with an AC module four years ago. Uh, and this is another 
challenge with, with technology development is it, it is as much about timing as anything else. You can come out with the best product in the world, the best idea, the best concept, but if you miss the timing, either a little bit early or a little bit late, it's worthless. So for us, we were looking like three or four years ago and, and thought exactly what I'm describing to you right now. This is a no-brainer. Of course this is going to go this direction. So we found a module manufacturer, great partner, produced it, and did not go very well. It was okay, you know, did maybe, I don't know, tens of megawatts, but n nothing, nothing of note. So we went back and analyzed and said, what, what did we do wrong? This is so obvious. And certain things popped out. Number one, at that time, um, the market fundamentally wasn't ready for it. And the reason was, there was so much going on in, in the market itself. It was, it, it was, uh, people were learning about the installation process. People weren't focused on saving a few hours in installation. They were more focused on the, the, the bigger challenges that they were facing. We were coming and saying, you know, you could do a lot more with less. It just wasn't their concern. At that point, it was, we were putting too fine a point on it. The other thing that we learned is that as dramatic as we felt the savings were for the installer, uh, the installer was not willing to pay more for a combined unit than they were for the individual components. Didn't make any sense to us, but it was very clear that that was happening. So great, the installer's right, we get it. We, we, we misunderstood the pricing. Uh, and the last problem that we saw was that it, the installers were very happy to standardize on end phase for the, for the infrastructure, but they wanted more choices on modules. There were times when you want a, a very high performance, you know, the best of class module. Other times, maybe you just wanted something that was more price focused. So we approached it uh, now with a very different lens. Number one, today, many installers are now reaching to end phase asking for the, for the, for the AC module. Great. We address the, uh, the, the, we're working with several partners, so we can, we can provide a, a, a choice. Um, and we're working with our module partners to ensure that the, the price of the, the single unit is not more than the price of the, the differentiated units. So technology development, despite best of intentions, despite the fact that it may be a right solution, is very dependent on, on timing. And, and, and we are very focused on making sure that we, ad that we approach this market, I think, uh, slightly differently than, than, than we did before. Um, you know, when we, when we look at, how, so we, we talked a little bit about sort of, uh, uh, so the AC module, the AC battery. Um, I think it's worth spending just a minute to, to look at where, what is it as an industry that we're trying to do? Is our goal to say, you have the grid up here and you're gonna have a, a solar system that kind of augments the grid uh, you know, a, a little bit or, or more than a little bit on a house. F for two reasons, we believe that's completely wrong. Number one, it's just not possible. It is not possible that we can see the kind of penetration we want to see in solar without having a more comprehensive energy solution. And two, prices are coming down to make that feasible. So when the grid started, this, we have this hub-and-spoke model right now where you have a big power plant that goes out to, you know, whatever, 100,000 homes. When the grid started, it made perfect sense. You couldn't build 100,000 little power plants. You had to build one power plant and distribute the energy. That was correct. Today, not so obvious. Today, it may in fact be cheaper to build 100,000 power plants because of technology. Because of technology development, it may very well be not just cheaper, 
uh, uh, but cheaper, more reliable, and safer to push the generation to the, to, the, to the edge of the network. In order to do that, you can't think about solar purely as solar. Now we have to start thinking about energy. And it is firmly our belief. And we're seeing signs of this in Australia. We're seeing signs of this in France and in Europe, where the sale is not going to be a solar sale anymore. It's going to be an energy sale. With the view that you're going to build an energy system for a residence for right now that's going to consist of generation, which is solar, storage, which you have to have, an energy management system that's aware of what's going on, and that will be your primary uh, uh, storage system. Below that is the grid. You'll just sip off the grid when you need it. That's a completely different view that the, uh, of, of the view that solar is taking today. But the, where prices are going, both the fact that solar prices are coming down and utility prices are going up, coupled with everything that's going on in, in terms of uh, innovation, make this, an, again, an inevitability. Question is timing. And in order to make it happen, there are a lot of regulatory issues that have to be resolved. We have to work with local utilities. It is, it is going to be a very bumpy ride. Uh, that's OK. We're in this for the long haul, and we're, we're, willing to, we're willing to tolerate these bumps. Let's, let's take this back to technology for a moment. So fine, I put, a, I put a, a solar system on your house. I put storage on your house. I haven't done anything yet. H how do you know what to do? Right now, the energy system has to know what you're generating at any given time. This is real time in the day, right, at any given time. Has to know what you're generating. Has to know what the state of charge of the battery is. Has to know what you're consuming. Again, real time, constantly. Has to know what you're consuming. Has to know what the rate structure is for you in that area to know whether they should charge or discharge or not do anything with storage to maximize the return on investment. That is an amazingly complex set of heuristics and algorithms. Today, we collect somewhere in the neighborhood of four terabytes of data every day from like 600,000 Enphase systems in over 100 different countries. And in our Enphase systems that are that full energy system, that's what we do. Whether it's in a, a, you know, a city in Australia, whether it's a, a town in France, whether it's in Hawaii, we're looking at that system holistically and looking at all the metrics I said, and yet again more, and then determining that we should charge or discharge a battery at a given time, again, to maximize the return on investment for the owner, which means maximize the life of the battery, optimize, you know, sell energy when it's expensive, buy it when it's cheap, don't use it if you don't have to. Um, if we had requested that that kind of, that, that issue be resolved uh, sort of between the installer and the homeowner, we'd sell exactly zero units. It is, it is crazy complex of a whole team that's dedicated nothing to, nothing, nothing but uh, cloud-based data management. And in, in a very real sense, this is the IoT of energy. This is very much the definition of the Internet of Things as it relates to energy. Now, uh, we, have, we have generation, we have storage, we've talked about energy management, but what is energy management? Is it control of your thermostat? Okay, that's an obvious one, that's a big one, but there's a lot more ways that we can help control and manage that energy usage. That's the direction I believe that we're all headed in. And it's very exciting. Um, as long as we do our part, which is to ensure that w we can allow you to offer these kind of 
you know, this amazing feature set for the consumer, but without, without, without your having to see that complexity. We want, uh, and we are actually seeing this in Australia as we speak, that a crew of three can do exactly what I said, solar, storage, energy management system, can do two energy management systems per day now because of the simplicity. Crew of three doing three, two full energy systems per day. That's a great return on investment. That's a great business for the installer. Uh, uh, and in order to do that, again, it's about simplicity and, and making it uh, as plug and play, if you will, as possible. Uh, I want to uh, leave enough time for questions. So I'll just, uh, uh, I'll just uh, uh, have one sort of closing remark. You know, as we look forward, I can tell you that the one thing I have learned is that it is very hard to see the future of energy. We have seen so many twists and turns that I had not expected um, that it is, uh, I, I don't, uh, we don't look for a crystal ball. I don't think one exists. I think it's more about a, uh, a, an understanding thematically of what it is, that, what is, it, what is it that we're trying to do. We're trying to build an energy system. In order to do that, we need to approach it by finding uh, ways to enhance our businesses and generate more profitability. Okay, that's, 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 that's simplicity and all the rest. Uh, and in order to do that, you have to have technology that can enable that. That's the direction we're going in. We're going to see changes on the regulatory front and utility front that none of us expect. Uh, I'm not saying that because I know something. I, I, I'm saying that because I've seen it over and over again. We've seen it in Arizona. We've seen it in Nevada. By the way, sometimes it's good, Massachusetts. Sometimes it's not so good. Um, but it will inevitably trend towards the direction of distributed energy. We know that today, if you have two homes standing side by side, one has solar, two new homes, new homes, two, uh, 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 one has solar, one doesn't. The one with solar is cheaper. Yeah, it's more stuff. But you put that system on a 30-year mortgage versus this system, your debt service on this is going to be far less than the energy you would have paid on this. So you will end up be buying a cheaper home with solar today than you do without solar. You can make the argument that it's cheaper if I don't put insulation in a house, but it's not cheaper. That's why no house comes without insulation. Solar is in exactly that position right now, and, it's getting, and that, that, that um, difference is getting more pronounced, not less. Um, uh, we know this is coming. We know where it's headed. We know that it's going to be choppy waters. So, uh, so keeping our eye on what, again, what the, big, what the big rocks are, what it is that we think we need to do as an industry and as individuals to accomplish that. Um, uh, this is going to be a challenging year. Just <laughs> say that every year. But this one is also going to be a challenging year. Um, uh, but, but the future looks very, very good. Again, we're in the very, very early days. The companies that make it through this are going to have an incredible future. Uh, and, and we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that we are building the next generation grid. We are building the, a, a decarbonized economy and therefore building a decarbonized planet. But, but, but to do this, we have to disrupt a multi-trillion dollar industry, and that's not going to be easy. It's one of the reasons why I have so much respect and so much admiration for all of you willing to fight this fight. It's a good fight to fight. It's worth it. Um, and you should be rewarded for it. Uh, uh, and I think with the right, with the right uh, viewpoint, with the right technology and the right models, you will be. So let me, let me, uh, let me open it up to, to questions. And feel free, anything.
Paul, four terabytes of data a day is kind of a staggering number. And it seems to me that as, the, as you roll out the AC battery, um, in the past you were getting the data and you were putting it up online and then doing whatever you were doing behind the scenes. But now you have to actively control a system. And as you propagate more and more of those systems out there, the data management end on, from the cloud, it seems to me, becomes nearly overwhelming. How, how if, if all the intelligence is in the cloud, in order to answer the every five minute question of am I charging a battery or discharging a battery, or am I dialing back the output from the microinverters, isn't there a concern that at some point that becomes unmanageable if you have great, I realize that's a problem you'd like to have. <laughs> But at some point, doesn't that become a problem? Well, today, I'm kind of done with problems, so I'm happy not to have any more problems. Um, the, the, uh, you, you bring up a very, very good point, by the way. So when I describe our technology, I always describe it in three components. We have the power electronics, which is a semiconductor-based uh, 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 inverter. We have the communications technology. And then we have the big data management. And each one of those is unique. What you're describing is actually one of the challenges that we're dealing with right now, which is who does what, when, and where? It would be very easy to say, put everything into the, the Envoy, into the communication device, and let it figure it out. You can, but that becomes a very expensive device. And now that becomes a single point of failure. And now you can't, it's not flexible, it doesn't adjust. It's very rigid. You could say, well, no, let's just do everything in the cloud. That way, all you need to do is get the data into the cloud, and it will manage everything. Again, what, what if, what if uh, your internet connection goes down? To your point, you have latency issues if you're dealing with, uh, if you're dealing with cellular or, or something that's non-broadband. You could be dealing with a broadband, and somebody unplugs the internet, uh, just unplugs your, your broadband. There's a million reasons why that, why that wouldn't work. So for us, we look at it from beginning to end and say, what are, what, what are the decisions that the inverter needs to make? Remember, each inverter has its own microprocessor. So we assign a certain number of decisions that the inverter can make, and it needs no connection to anything. It makes its own decisions. There are certain decisions that the Envoy makes, a little bit more robust, a little bit broader, uh, and that, again, if the internet's not there, the Envoy can make it with the inverters, you're done. There's another set of decisions. That, the, that, that are made in the cloud that, again, yet again more robust and more challenging that filter its way down. Some of the heuristics that I was talking about, the algorithms in terms of energy management, are, very, are too complex to be made locally. It has to be made in the cloud. You need too much compute power and it takes too much time. But I can't, be, I can't be expected to do all that compute and then send it every five minutes. So we break out the algorithm such that some stuff is done in the cloud, which alerts the envoy as to what's going on, which alerts the inverters as to what's going on, whether the inverters are in the AC battery or on the roof, and they can continue along that path. They have a certain amount of uh, inertia until the next decision is made, and then it gets propagated yet again. Our goal going forward, uh, to, 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 to elaborate on that theme, is to figure out how to do that and reduce the cost of every component along the way and push more into the cloud. In a perfect world, you would have the, the power line communication, the PLC. You'd have a PLC to uh, call it Ethernet bridge, Ethernet to the cloud, you're done. $10 device, you don't need anything else. And every decision is made in the cloud. Again, the problem is that in certain cases, uh, uh, let's talk about Hawaii for a second. 
uh, you, have, uh, you have no net export, right? You can't export anything. Well, you have to make decisions very quickly within milliseconds. Cloud can't do that. So you, now you need some intelligence that occurs uh, locally. Um, so we're, we're the next generation of, of uh, the communications, which will come out end of this year, early next, will have yet again a more refined view on it. Remember, when we started, there was no such thing as the cloud. It didn't exist. Then it became more and more uh, uh, prevalent. Now it's really, really inexpensive. Still, we spend seven figures a year on it, but it's a lot less expensive than it used to be. So that allows us to take advantage of it more. So now we can build a broader infrastructure that allows for a broader and more robust use of, 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 of a, of a cloud-based infrastructure? It's a good question. So just kind of piggybacking off what Jim was talking about, um, there are some significant cybersecurity concerns that I have around a lot of these devices. And one thing, when I, when I talk to a lot of contractors in the industry, uh, a lot of the complaints I hear are, as the IT infrastructure gets more complex, there's, the skills gap is starting to increase very significantly. So how are you addressing some of, well, for instance, Amazon Web Services, half the internet went down the other day. Okay? Exactly. How many people are building their stuff in the cloud with Amazon? And you, know, you want to talk about single point of failure, that's a huge <coughs> problem. So can you, speak to, can you speak to both of those issues for a moment? Definitely, definitely. Um, let me address the cybersecurity one first. So you know, in Hawaii, the largest uh, uh, power plant, I think, is a 160 megawatt coal-fired power plant, or oil or coal-fired power plant. There are, today, there is uh, over 180 megawatts of Enphase uh, on Hawaii. We're far and away the largest. We are the single largest power plant in, uh, on, on, uh, in Hawaii right now. Uh, I went to a meeting as HECO became aware of this, uh, uh, and it surprised them. Uh, I went to a meeting and, in which there was, um, I walked in a room and there was Homeland Security, FBI, some guy, scary looking guy in a suit. <laughs> some, <laughs> um, didn't say a word the whole time, which is worse. Um, uh, and then a bunch of the HECO guys. And, and they, had this, they, they brought up the, the exact same concern. They said, wow. This is, this is kind of alarming because if something happens to Enphase, you know, to the Enphase systems, uh, it would bring down Oahu because it would ch change the voltage on the, on the, on the grid and that would, it would cause an automatic shutdown. It would just be really challenging. So, uh, so we have instituted a lot, of, a lot in the way of, of, of cybersecurity in our technology. We do everything from the, uh, the, the, uh, the communication from the inverter down to the envoy is fully encrypted. Uh, we decrypt it uh, partially at the, at the envoy. We then re-encrypt it and send it up. And then it, it uh, by the way, we are in, we, most of our uh, cloud-based uh, data is held at Amazon. Um, uh, uh, we, and, then, and then that has its own set of encryption. And, and we use a certain set of servers that are used, that are high security servers. And, so, and, and by the way, we have people who are dedicated to just this, just cybersecurity right now, to ensure that you can't break into any, any area. We have people who uh, we contract and we pay them to try to break into every, every aspect of it to see if there are holes. And there had been. And we plug them and they keep looking and they'll find something else and we plug that. Um, so uh, I, I don't have a simple answer for you on that. And I, I don't think there is a simple answer. I think it's more about we get the problem and we are applying a lot of resources to uh, to manage the security as, as well as possible. Um, 
<laughs> when I was at that meeting, this meeting was a few years ago, and they asked us, uh, one of the questions was, because th their view was you have a power plant and you have security guards, and so they asked us, um, you know, how do you secure some of the, the basic servers? I mean, do you have armed guards? Do you have locked rooms? And I didn't, I, I didn't know how to tell him, no, we've got David, and he's really, really good, but <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't own a gun. Um, so it became very clear to us that, that no, no, we have, we have to take on a much bigger responsibility here. And this isn't, I love David, by the way, he's amazing, but it, he's, it, this is a different problem. So, <laughs> yeah, you need a bunch of Davids with a bunch of M16s. But we actually have something even better than that. Right now, it is so encrypted and so walled off that you couldn't access it. I mean, we have, we, oh, there's only a few people in Enphase who can access it. So it's yet again, yet again more secure. Um, uh, uh, forgive me, uh, remind me the second part of your question? It was the skills gap. Skills gap. So uh, when we started Enphase, we didn't have anybody in cybersecurity. We had really great software engineers, and they would do you know, a little encryption, and we were done. And it wasn't even encryption. It was more compression. Uh, now we realize that, no, we have to have that, that, the security expertise in-house, and we have to contract outside firms as well to help make sure that, uh, that, that, uh, that, that, that we're up to speed, because it's changing so fast. We know that the, not speaking for Enphase, but the utilities are very vulnerable. They, they, they are. Some of them are better than others, and they're definitely understanding the, the importance of, of, of security more and more. But that vulnerability that you're speaking about, yes, we're aware of and, and, and having to build that, that skill set for, the utilities have to do the same. You know, it, it, it's more of an energy issue than it is necessarily just an end phase issue. But, uh, but, but I, I think the, the good news is that there are more and more people out there, more and more software engineers, who this is all they do. And they're, they're, they're getting better and better. Uh, at, at understanding it and then and actually anticipating future attacks and being able to prevent that. Long way to go. Again, still very early days, but uh, a lot of stuff happening there. Um, my company is in uh, Kansas City, so we're, we're in the Midwest, which is just starting to kind of, mm -hmm. you know, uptake the renewable energy. Um, <clears throat> we're in a kind of unique position. Is my firm's an architectural design build firm. Um, we focus on net zero building designs, residential and commercial. Right. What's kind of shocked us and caught me by surprise, I, I've been watching the industry shift to storage mm. pretty quick, and I knew it was coming quick. Um, what's been interesting for my team is how fast and how hard people are pushing for a self-contained home. Right. Um, and what we started, what we're starting to realize is, is a lot of these homes, uh, I've got two that were building in a subdivision. You know, the, the power company's got a head, you know, 60 feet out in front of the house. Uh, the cost to hook up to that mm. during construction, mm. we're seeing you know between seven to ten thousand dollars. So right off the bat, you know our homeowners are looking at their budget line items and going, yeah, you know how much of that can I put into storage and just not use them? Mm -hmm. Because it's a combination of that, six hundred to a thousand dollars a year in fees and taxes just to be hooked up to it, even if you've got this net zero home mm -hmm. and you're not, you're only using them during. You know, nighttime. That's right. So, um, as we're identifying storage systems, what we're seeing is, you know, like with a system you've designed, um, you know, everyone talks about Tesla. I get hammered with the Tesla Powerwall. So do I. Yeah. <laughs> and so the bottom line is, is that every time we look at these systems, we, you know, we always come back to they're still too complex. They're too still too small. 
And like the original Powerwall, they already changed it because the, the feedback they got is, this is stupid, you need a dozen. <laughs> and so they doubled the size of it. They did an AC couple because a lot of people want microinverters. <laughs> so now they have an AC version. But again, now we're looking at those going, okay, well, instead of needing 12, we need six. Mm -hmm. You know, as, is, are, are you, do you have some development in place moving forward to provide larger units of storage and a storage solution that can be an off-grid storage? Yeah, that's a great question. It's interesting because uh, that phenomena is occurring around the world. You know, in France, the biggest driver of storage is self-consumption. There really is no, you don't benefit from it. There aren't really, there aren't, there aren't tariffs that, that reward you for it. But people have that sense that I want to own it. I, I, want it, I want this, I want responsibility for it. You know, I don't want to have to rely on the utility. I don't have to keep paying a bill. Let me, let me, let me, let me be self-reliant. It's amazing what a, it's very interesting to me to see that that, that, uh, that feeling is prevalent, you, you know, just everywhere. Um, to, to address this specific question on, uh, on off-grid and, and sort of the, the bigger question of when can, that, when can that, the perfect kind of energy system be built, two things have to happen. One is that today, chemistry is just too expensive. And I don't care whose you use. It is just too expensive. That's the bad news. The good news is it is coming down in price so fast. It's coming down in price faster than, than, than module prices are coming down. I mean, it's coming down and in part because we're not the only ones using it. Electric cars are driving a lot of the, lot of the, the factories. Uh, uh, in in uh, China, there's a mandate for uh, a certain, a very specific type of battery chemistry, lithium iron phosphate. So you're seeing, uh, um, which is what we use, uh, uh, so you're seeing factories being built to support the, the auto industry in China for that. And uh, so I think you're going to see the, the same thing we saw on modules uh, and regrettably inverters. You're going to see with... Uh, uh, with storage. It's going to come down dramatically in price. When it does, then it's going to make sense to use chemistry full-time. Right now, it just, it's hard. Right now, it is still sort of about rate arbitrage and, and, and doing the things that we had talked about. There will come a time, and it's not five years. It's two years, two and a half years. It's not really far, it's not far at all, where you're going to see a, a chemistry come down to the point where um, you can talk about that. You can't talk about that. Here's the, here's the thing with um, a, a lot of our projects that we're doing that are outside of the metro area. So people that live on three, five, 10, 20 acres, uh -huh. they typically are not wanting their homes to be right up against the dirt road. Yes. And as soon as we do the calculations on that, yeah. um, you know, we're finding cost to hook into the grid of 30, 60, $80,000. Mm -hmm. And, the, and the, the three projects I have going now, all three have decided to go off grid mm -hmm. because it's, it costs the same or it's less. They don't have the annual fees and taxes. They were, you know, they, they, it's a net zero building anyway. They've got all the solar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, we've been really shocked that, you know, we keep thinking it's a couple, three years down the road. And for everyone, especially rurally, it, it is today. It is today. I agree. And what we want to do is turn it where... You don't need to make a $60,000, $80,000 decision. You need to make a six dollars or $8,000 decision for the whole thing. That's when we think it turns and it becomes very prevalent. That's when you, you sort of aggressively move away from this hub-and-spoke model that, we, that exists today. Uh, now, in order to do that, you have to work off-grid. Today, the way our inverters work is we look at the line voltage, and then we inject current at that frequency, and, 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 uh, uh, which makes us grid-tied. 
we have said that we are working on a product that will allow the batteries to work when the grid is there or not. Um, I don't, I'm not going to give you a time frame. It's not 17. It, and it's not 19. I'll let you figure it out. Um, <laughs> um, but, it's a, but, but, but we recognize that, that that has to be part of the, the again, the, the, uh, as solar evolves, we have to assume that the grid may be there, may be there or may not. So at the time when you do come out with that, that new product, not between 17 and 19, right? <laughs> um, is that going to mean that to retrofit our systems, do we have to, is it going to be an, an added device onto the system or are we going to have to retrofit the whole system, take the existing batteries out? Yeah, it's a, it's a, new, it's a new product. It's a new product. It's a product that, that can form its own grid. Um, uh, again, Years of development, very complex technology. Second thing, when's the IQ coming out fully? Well, it's launching this quarter. It's launching. I think we're we're shipping in the next couple of weeks. Uh, 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 good and bad, I guess, is that the the demand is outstripping supply because as you ramp up, you, you know, you have to manage your manufacturing process. Um, uh, so, I think by the end of Q2, we'll have kind of unfettered supply. Okay. Catherine Kent with the Solar Store. Paul, I've been a, we've been a big supporter of Enphase and we love your product. But I have to say that our salespeople have to run into the, our competitors who are talking about the fact that a 25-year inverter doesn't really matter if the company can't make money. Sure. So I'm just going to leave it at that. How, do we, how can we address that? So hopefully, uh, and we realize that that's a, that's a tough question uh, and we get it. Um, uh, it's interesting that we grew maybe 10% share in, uh, in 16 despite those headwinds, but we need to relieve you of those headwinds. Uh, we announced uh, that uh, our OPEX now, we've cut to a point uh, uh, where we believe that profitability is, uh, we're not guiding to a specific time. We said in the past that we'd see profitability in the second half. We took yet again actions in Q1 that, that we believe will pull in profitability. So it's very much our hope uh, that we can relieve that concern in, in, in some number of months. Thank you. <clears throat> and Paul, if I could just add to, to that, and, uh, like our, our auditing process, LG's auditing process, was not <coughs> just on their manufacturing and R&D, but it also involved their financials. And so we're very confident because at the end of the day, with the AC module, if Enphase goes under, then we're responsible, right? So we took that very, very seriously, and we're very com comfortable with, 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 um, with Enphase and where they stand. Thanks, David. So um, we've been uh, Enphase installers almost as long as Enphase has been around, and we, we've watched you grow. Um, and you know we're we're 100 percent Enphase on our, on our residential installs, and it's been fantastic. Um, on the commercial side, um, we've seen fits and starts um, from the folks, and, and we're, we're New York based. The biggest growth area that we're looking at is on the commercial community, uh, community solar, mm -hmm. which is commercial. Um, and I just wanted to ask you where, what Enphase's direction is to support the commercial market. Right. Um, so today we're about 15% commercial, 85% um, resi. And the reason for that is very singular, it's price. That, as you know, uh, pricing on commercial is significantly below pricing on residential because of the size of the inverters and the economies of scale that they can achieve with that. Um, 
we've made it uh, abundantly I think, clear that we are on a very aggressive cost reduction path. Uh, and we, the IQ is a big part of that. We have uh, you know, an, another version of it coming out mid-year, another version of it coming out at the end of, uh, the IQ7 is coming out at the end of this year or early next. Um, our view is that once we get to that, that time frame, uh, that now we can compete with any commercial system, small commercial, not uh, 100 megawatts, but small commercial system because uh, we will hit the, we'll be able to hit that right price point. So the, 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 there's really no technology challenge. Uh, it's really been, we have seen that, uh, that our, the reason that we haven't had the kind of success in commercial that we have in, commercial, in resi is simply because of price. Everything we're doing on price is to address, on cost is to address that. And it addresses it not only for resi, but will address it for commercial as well. Um, <clears throat> on, along those lines, uh, what are you, what do you anticipate getting down to on a uh, price per watt basis in the commercial market? So I'm, I'm not going to provide any sort of future pricing. What I will say is that we recognize that uh, on uh, the commercial side uh, that, you know, the, the numbers are in the low double digits um, and that uh, we need to be able to compete there. Remember that we have a, a unique advantage being a microinverter in that we can take advantage of module power like no, no other inverter can. For us, as module power goes up, the cost of your inverter goes down dramatically. It's almost linear. So one of the nice things about commercial is 72 cell, the much bigger panels, much higher wattage. That is very, very good for end phase. We, we, love the fact that, uh, that modules are, are getting higher and higher power. One of the things that I think is so attractive about an LG end-phase relationship is these are, these are high-power modules. Uh, these are high-power residential modules. Um, uh, so we have sort of a, a little accelerator on cost reduction with, with commercial because of that. Uh, that's why we feel very confident that with what we're doing, we can get there relatively soon. I mean, one of the, just to, to follow up, I don't mean to monopolize the you know, obviously as, as uh, module wattage has jumped, especially in the 72 cell, and outpaced, you know, your current product offer to some extent, um, which has kind of pushed us to, you know, look at alternatives, um, which, you know, the, the you know, solar edge and dirt, obviously. Um, so do you anticipate really going back into that market aggressively? Yeah, so, so how big are the models that you're looking at right now on power? Um, everything up to, you know, but we're looking at things including Sun Power 435s, which are proud of that. So, so, so outside of Sun Power, my guess is that you're in the 360, 380 range-ish? Yeah. So the IQ6 Plus is a, is a 290 which can support up to 380. So you'll have the power uh, with, with, with the generation of product we've got coming out right now. And we're coming out with a 290. We could have pushed it up. That's the, the power for us is not a problem. It's, it's, it's a good thing. The problem is we're trying to uh, uh, match what we think are the, the, the module availability to make sure that you're not sort of overpaying for, 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 for power, not underpaying for power. Uh, it's actually one of the challenges of being a microinverter because we, we, we are more tightly paired to the modules. So we have to be more aware of what's happening. Um, but no, no, we feel uh, th there's, there's I, I don't think there's going to be a module out there, some power notwithstanding, 
there's not going to be a module out there that we won't be able to pair up with, with the next generation. And our hope is that they push it up, that 430 becomes a new normal, we'll be there in 20 minutes to be able to support that. That's, that's good for us. Do you have any plans to launch uh, native 480 volt microinverter? Because we've done some commercial installations and they've involved transformers and yeah. definitely adds some the cost. Totally get it. And I think that's part of the question. Um, once we feel that we had, we had talked about it, but because we felt like we weren't at the right price point and we have a finite number of engineers, it just didn't make sense. Uh, once we feel we're at the right price point, we already have that design sitting on a shelf. We're just waiting for the, the cost to come down where we feel like we can be competitive and then, and then introduce it. So um, I work a lot with sales guys and homeowners often are confused with the rhetoric out there. And um, I guess just maybe a request I have is as, um, as we interact more with homeowners, are there, are there things Enphase can do to provide us maybe digital and, you know, maybe sexy, you know, presentations to educate the homeowner how to sift through the rhetoric that's out there because there's, you know, just a lot from competitors. Sure, sure, sure. Um, and then, you know, give them that confidence that, hey, this is going to be here for the long haul. Sure, sure, sure. Christopher, let's, uh, you know, we already have a, a lot of that prepared, so we'll work on getting it for you directly. Sure. Coming out of Arizona, self-consumption is pretty much uh, on the top of everyone's mind there. And what is your timeline on an energy management system? You talk about it at the high-level view, but when are we <coughs> going to see the practicality of actually being able to deploy it in the field? Uh, Not just batteries, but you were like looking at a holistic view of managing load control, load control so HVAC system looking at other energy ways to conserve energy in an energy efficiency way, because I too agree that is where it's headed. So our first step in that direction is what I talked about earlier, which is um, generation, storage, uh, managing the, the battery, and maybe introducing a thermostat. That's available today. I, I, I can't tell you that it's available necessarily in Arizona. Christopher, do you know if, that's a, if we're selling that in I'm not sure. We're, we're starting to sell that in California right now. Exactly that. And it, we've been selling it for uh, four or five months in, in Australia, for three or four months in, in, in Europe. So it, that's available today. The way I would view what you're referring to is um, it's a system that can't be a static system. It's a system that has to be able to grow. You, you don't necessarily, you aren't necessarily going to sell that entire system day one. You're going to sell a bunch of it, but you want the consumer to realize that he's, bought, he's a system that, that can, that's future-proof, that can, that can grow with it. Um, uh, I think we can deliver 80% of that value with what I just said, uh, and, then, and then we'll be introducing more products over time that help, help tell a broader story. And some of that we'll do, some of that we'll do with partners. <laughs> So you, you talked about streamlining um, in, in the industry and integration and simplicity being the goals. In this window of increasing technical complexity, I think in installation companies might actually be seeing an increase in the design capability they need, the sales sophistication they need, the number of SKUs they might need to stock, actually more complexity today. What advice would you give or, or what would you be thinking about as an installer looking at that? Right. 
So, uh, you know, I would go back to sort of Paul's strategy uh, early on with, with focused, uh, which was uh, to focus the limited amount of resources that we all have on a very targeted set of either technology, business models, whatever it may be. It's very tempting, and we fell victim to this too, to a lot of things look good. It, it's like going into a, like shopping when you're hungry. It's not a good idea. <laughs> I don't need six pounds of pickles. I didn't know that when I was shopping, but when I get home, you realize this is ridiculous. I don't, I, I don't even like pickles. Why, why, why is that there? The, the same is true with these business models and new technologies, that you walk in and you're looking at these things and they look, wow, that's amazing. Let me, let me try this and let me try that. And before you know it, the finite number of resources you have get dispersed and the power of that concentration gets lost. Um, that's very damaging. I, I, think you're, I think anybody's better off, and I'm, I'll speak for myself as well as anybody else, identifying what is it, what is it that, that fits your model, what fits where do you want your focus to be, and then put your energy on that. It's okay, and, and not get distracted by shiny things, not get distracted by uh, uh, th things that are on the fringe. Just make the decision and stay focused. Um, it doesn't mean you have to stay focused forever, but it means that for, for some period of time, um, all your energy is going to be there. And what you'll find out is that you get better and better and better at that. And there are subtleties uh, that you didn't realize before. There's a refinement that occurs. You get more efficient. When you have to do it, when, when you're choosing three or four different ways, you never get that. It never happens. Um, uh, the, this is true with, I think, with technologies, with business models, with, with partners. I think it's true just across the board. Uh, in, in, in a time like this, where we talked about earlier, where there's a lot of different ideas and, and things happening, staying focused, not being, uh, not being distracted, I think is, would be my advice and would be the key. What, what is the, the biggest concern if you had to pick one for your business moving forward or risk? Is it, is it competition? Is it policy? Uh, I would say that if there's one thing that, uh, that, uh, that keeps me focused or keeps me up at night and that I'm most focused on would be the, something that we just, we just talked about, which is uh, so it's quality of execution. The market is there. It's going to be a little bit bigger, a little smaller. It doesn't matter. The market is going to be huge in the future. We know that. One of the challenges that Enphase has is that as a microinverter, there isn't really for the most part, there just isn't a peer. So all the innovation has to come from Enphase. We can't look to other companies. We can't, there aren't things that we can do, um, which is great. We, we, we've built our whole career on that. I, well before Enphase, that's all I did. It's just, just invention. But the challenge is that in a, uh, in a normal tech world, you'd be sitting on 50, 60, 70 points gross margin, and you, there's no problem. In this world, where you have much lower gross margin, you have to take, you have to, you have to use the, the gross margin that you have, the dollars that come in, and apply it to innovation, roadmap, cost reduction. That's very, very tough. The kind of, uh, th there's more technology in Enphase than any company I've ever worked in. And I've worked at NEC Electronics, I've worked at some of the biggest. And, and there was, those were very focused on either semiconductor development, software, whatever. This is just so broad and there's so much invention. You know, just it's never happened before. Um, and every step we take, we're clearing the brush. There's, there's no path. There's no path for anything that we've ever done. 
which is, which is, which is wonderful. It's what we love doing. Uh, I'd like to have a little bit more, more money to do it with. So now that we don't, that's what we're, so now it's about execution. It means that the, if, if you would comfortably do something with 10 engineers, you have to do it with five. You know, if, if you could comfortably get it done in 18 months, you have, get, you have to get it done in 12. It's all good. It's what we do. It, it, it's, it's, the, it's the nature of any sort of technology development. But it's that quality of execution uh, that I stay very focused on right now. Do you feel like all the, the smaller companies are going to kind of weave themselves out? Well, like, which, because of that? Would they like technology companies? Yeah, other um, inverter companies. Uh, do you see them just not being able to keep up and kind of disappearing? So, uh, uh, so startups thrive when the rate of change is high. It has nothing to do with the size of the market. Size of the market just tells you how big you can be. Startups exist, startups thrive when there's a lot of change. When there's not that much change, the incumbents will always win because they just will. They have economies of scale, they have relationships, they're safer, it's just better. Um, this environment, so we've had, we had a lot of technology innovation, like with Enphase and with a bunch of stuff. Now that's becoming more evolutionary. If you look at our IQ, it's, it's a vastly more evolved product. But if you look at it, you have one inverter, you have another inverter. You know, it kind of is, this, is, this is metal, this is plastic. This is four wires, this is two wires. But it's an evolutionary step. In this environment, uh, I don't believe that there is a lot of room for younger companies. I think it's very, very hard, especially when you look at where prices are and how much money it takes to get to the point where you, you can actually, you know, you can, you can get the technology developed and get it in production and all the rest. Um, so that, I think, eliminates a whole swath of, a whole, a whole category of, of potential companies. Within the standard companies, I would say that, I'd, I'd use the disk drives as an example. Um, 25 years ago, there were 60, 100, 60 to 100 disk drive companies. So there's two, the Western Digital and Seagate. Each one produces in the neighborhood of 60 million drives a quarter. There aren't 60 companies doing 1 million drives a quarter. There's one company doing 60. And it makes perfect sense because of the disproportionate advantage of the economies of scale. So uh, I think as we move forward, you're going to see fewer companies doing more volume, uh, which means that some companies will definitely get eliminated. And again, it's not that they're great companies. It's not that it's, it's not, I don't mean this as a slight or pejorative on any company that doesn't make it. Uh, there are companies that haven't made it in solar that I have tremendous respect for, really tremendous respect for. But in this environment, it's a very, uh, uh, it's a, it's a very sort of Darwinian environment right now, and, and, and uh, the, the fittest will survive. You have five minutes. Can you speak uh, about Enphase's position on Solar Edge and their rise into the market and how you're going to compete against it and how we can compete against Sure. Um, so Solar Edge had been around for a long time with Enphase, and we were you know, winning the market, and everything was fine. And, and the, uh, I have a lot of respect for the company, so, so don't take anything I'm saying as, as, as being demeaning. Uh, but their view was, we're kind of like Enphase, but we're cheaper. But the, they were kind of like Enphase. It wasn't Enphase. So we just kept winning. In a very short period of time, at the end of 15, the environment for the installer became so competitive that the, but I'm cheaper, became the dominant phrase. Uh, and we missed it. You know, we kept seeing our gross margins increase. You know, share was good. And 
we just missed it. We missed how competitive it was, and we were holding up the pricing artificially. Again, in hindsight, I, we didn't see it at the time, obviously, but in hindsight, I can see that. So I had to come down in price, uh, which was really all about 16. 16 was sort of catching up on price. Uh, uh, what we have seen is that we have the ability, uh, we believe, to get to a lower cost and therefore a lower price uh, uh, as a result of, of innovation. It meant that we had to shed sort of everything else we were doing. It was just like, okay, just going back to what we were talking about before, you know, we're very, very focused right now. There's, there's very little else that we're doing except executing against a roadmap, much of which is, which is on cost reduction. Um, uh, so I would say that by reducing our OPEX, uh, which allows us to get to profitability at a lower gross margin, uh, step one, that's done. Uh, focusing on cost reduction allows us to now compete because we do believe that, uh, uh, that we're a preferred solution. I, I'm very biased in this, but I really do believe that all else being equal, we will win more jobs than we will, we'll win more customers than we will lose. Uh, because of the nature of our solution. And I think that becomes, yet again, more it, it pronounced with the AC module. The AC module, I think, uh, I mentioned this on the call yesterday, but we, we all believe that the future of rooftop solar is an AC module. It just doesn't make sense to me that you can have one module, put on the roof, plug it in, walk away, versus plug in the modules, here's an inverter, you may or may not have optimizers, you've got string sizing, you've got a, a big inverter on the roof. It, it, it doesn't... I've never seen an industry go in that direction. I've always seen the opposite occur. So I'm, I'm sort of going on history and going on what, what some installers are telling me. So because of that, we believe that we're on the right cost reduction path, we're on the right roadmap uh, to help you know, uh, 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 do what we talked about for the installers, which I believe allows us to compete very effectively with, with just about anyone. And by the way, it's, um, uh, uh, what I'm describing to you is true worldwide. You know, we've, uh, we're, we're the number one inverter in Mexico, in Puerto Rico, in France, in New Zealand. And in a lot of areas that we compete, we're number one, clearly, uh, because of the technology advantage. Uh, I think what we need to do is stay focused on price, uh, cost, and therefore price. And I think that that will go a long way. Can I just add to that? So, one of, you, know, when, you know, we've been selling your product for a very long time. And I, what, what differentiated... And phase for us initially was forgetting even the technology side that we dealt with was the user interface on the consumer side. Mm -hmm. And we really focused our salespeople on showing that sort of, you know, Apple-like, if you will, mm -hmm. user interface. You know, something that was intuitive, that was attractive, that was simple and, and clean. Um, and I've spoken to Glenn about that numerous mm -hmm. times. Um, and I think you know, SolarEdge has, has gotten a little bit of that, mm -hmm. um, but I would I would urge you to, to stay focused on um, the customer you know, facing side of that because at, at the end of the day, residentially, that's that's what our salespeople can use to you know help mm -hmm. differentiate. You know, mm -hmm. the, the technology is the technology, and we'll make those determinations on you know what's more cost effective. <coughs> but but you know, that's that's critically important for us. That's right, that's good advice. Thank you. Yeah. <clears throat> so, a couple of questions ago, you mentioned the survivability of manufacturing companies. I'd be interested in um, what we call the solar coaster. So, my constant, <laughs> as, a, as a small business owner, my constant 
thought and survivability. What does that look like? What does that look like in terms of skill set, right. in terms of capital size? Right. Any comments? I know it's not you, but you probably get a lot of exposure, so I'd be interested in your ideas. Yeah, so uh, the, by the way, that, that is very common. That is very, very common. I think the, the, uh, the solar coaster is exactly that. It's kind of a wild ride. And I think in, in times of tremendous volatility and uncertainty, uh, th there is, there is uh, you know, a, a tremendous advantage in stability and stable growth. That is, I could grow 25%, but if I grow 15%, I'm in a stronger cash position, and maybe that's a better position to be in. I think right now, uh, you know, we, we, there are customers that we have had that sort of grew had these meteoric rises and aren't here anymore, um, or, or maybe challenged. And there are other customers that, you know, did, you know, two, one megawatt a year, you know, three or four years ago, and are now doing eight megawatts a year. And it's comfortable business. It's a good, good, solid business. And they don't stress themselves. Um, they don't, they don't uh, uh, do things that put themselves at risk. Uh, I think that, uh, that in an environment where you have this level of uncertainty and volatility, uh, uh, any company is better off taking a slightly more conservative approach. When things stabilize, and they will, this is not, we've, we've had this for a while now, but pricing is coming down and becoming, you know, will become stabilized maybe the end of this year. Uh, I think the, the regulatory environment will, um, will, be, will change, but we're seeing more and more states that are now becoming solar states. So that's going to, I think, even things out. Um, the technology, I think, is going to get yet again simpler and stabilized. Uh, 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 and when that happens, th that may be a time that somebody wants to so sort of reach out a little bit and take a bit more of a risk. But until then, I, I think that uh, certainly from what we've seen, a little bit more of a conservative approach uh, may stand somebody in, in, in good stead. Well, thank you all very much. I appreciate the time. Okay, that was Paul Nahi, CEO of Enphase at the 2017 Bewa RE Partner Summit. We hope you enjoyed Paul's talk. We have other summit presentations coming soon from Charlie Gay from the Department of Energy's Sunshot Initiative and Vikram Agarwal from Energy Sage. So watch out for those. Don't forget to check out our new magazine, Solar Review. Just Google Baywa RE View. That's Baywa R period E period View. Okay, thanks for listening and see you next time.